Don't forget that you can now listen to the Politocrat podcast on Audible at audible.com and wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe now. And thank you for your support. Welcome to the Politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. It is Tuesday, December the 1st, 2020. On this episode of The Politocrat, our duty to care about each other, about ourselves, and about this world we are living in. The challenges of this pandemic, financial situations, emotional situations, mental health situations, and so much more. How we can take care of ourselves in these extremely difficult times. That and more coming up next. So here we are, it's December the 1st, 2020, the final month of the year. I hope you're well. Um, Here we are, you know, it's uh, December, brand new month. And the final month of this year. I can't wait to get to the end of it. I mean, can't you? Can't you wait? I, I don't think anybody can wait to get to the end of 2020 and see it through the rear view mirror. I just, this year, again, and I'm going to talk about this toward the end of this month, just to, you know, doing the, the, what, the proverbial year in review, and goodness gracious, there's not going to be too many happy moments, unfortunately. Um, but we'll find some. I'll find some. <laughs> I'm sure together we can find some happy moments in this year that made you laugh, that made you feel good because we have to. And there were some amidst all of this pain and gloom and depression and hatred and setback, adversity. We'll find those moments. I'm sure that we can. Can you list five things this year that made you happy? Um, I can. I, I know I can do that. Um, and I'm sure there are people who can do that who are listening. Um, but who knows? I mean, it's it's been that kind of a year, hasn't it? It really has. Um, anyway, here we are. Here we are. And I just want to say a few things here before I get to um, Giving Tuesday. And of course, this is also World AIDS Day. I want to make sure that I Um, talk about both of those things and I will do so shortly but I do want to start with this Um, it's just so important that we are careful Um, and you know we need to be really careful Um, first of all, we've got to mask up. I know that's a term. Some people like that term. Some people don't. My best term for this or the term I like best is wear a mask. You know, it really is that simple. Wear a mask. It's so important. It's so important. I know there are people who don't take this virus seriously even now. I know that there's many of those individuals. But thankfully... Um, most people in the world do take it seriously. And, you know, we, we have to. This is how we save ourselves and this is how we save each other, even more importantly. And I do think that wearing a mask, doing so once you leave your home, is going to be the key even when a vaccine comes. And this is something that the professor of law, Dorit Rice, talked about yesterday on the episode that we did 
um, really good conversation that we had um, about all of these things, the vaccines, e efficacy, ethics, uh, building trust in the black community around vaccines, given the history and everything else. We had a very good conversation about that yesterday. And if you didn't listen, please do listen to that conversation um, that we did have yesterday, yesterday's episode, November 30th, 2020. Um, and also you can look at that episode, at least our conversation on YouTube as well, on my YouTube channel, the Politocrat YouTube channel. Um, please subscribe to that channel. We only, you know, so far, um, there are subscribers, but it would be great to have more as we, um, as I'm just trying to get awareness going for this YouTube channel as well. But um, please subscribe to the YouTube channel if you could. Um, would be really, really great. And you'll you'll see it once you come to it. Um, lots of videos and lots of uh, video and audio um, and video conversations. And one of them is the one that that I had yesterday with, with the professor of law, um, Professor Rice. So please subscribe. It's really important that we wear a mask because again, even with a vaccine that eventually is going to come, um, we're going to still have to wear masks. And we do have a fast food society here where we're looking for the quick angle and the quick fix. And we really, I hope, will have to, and we really must resist that mentality. We really do have to be much more cooperative and collaborative. And we cannot continue the mentality that says, oh, I've got a mask on um, and that's enough. You have to have a mask on, as I said, but you've also got to physically distance. You know, you have to have a mask on and physically distance and you've also got to avoid large crowds of people and you cannot physically distance when you're amongst large crowds of people. It just can't happen. So these are collaborative things. Wearing a mask is really important, but collaboratively, you've got to wear a mask and you've got to physically distance. You've got to do physical distancing and you've got to avoid large crowds, you know, and you've got to wash your hands. I mean, these things go together, right? You know, it's like when you wake up, um, there are a series of things that you do, right, to get ready for your day. And typically, unless you are running late for work or you're, you know, if you're working from home, you're not running late for work. But if you if you're an essential worker, there are things you need to do. You don't shortcut, even if you're running a little late, there are certain things you cannot shortcut. And that's the same thing when it comes to your safety and health. You have to be able to be collaborative. It's part of a of an orchestra. I know, again, analogies can be so tricky and dangerous. But it is like part of an orchestra. You can't have a good orchestra if the cellist isn't there, if the violinist isn't there, if the double bassist isn't there, if the you know, conductor is missing. <laughs> for, so in order for an orchestra to work and be at its best, all of these collaborative parts have to be in place and they have to operate. Otherwise, you're not going to have a very effective orchestra. And very clearly and obviously, it's the same with trying to beat and beating this pandemic is that you cannot have an effective defeat of this virus or reducing, reducing, reduction in this virus if you are not wearing a mask. I mean, that you've disqualified yourself and your chances right there. And also you've put a lot of people in grave risk. You cannot have an effective strategy to defeat a virus if you don't wear a mask. And you cannot have an effective strategy to defeat a virus if you wear a mask, but you don't physically distance from people. If you wear a mask, 
and physically distance, but you still are hovering around crowds or you continue to go to places um, where you are, you know, you know, where there's people, where, you know, you're going to places where there are people who are complete strangers to you, who aren't part of your family circle. And you've got to just exercise caution, I mean. And you can't defeat a virus when you're wearing a mask around your chin. That just is not going to work. Wearing a mask around your chin is as bad, if not worse, than not wearing a mask at all. Because you're now putting bacteria from your neck, from your chin, onto your face, onto your nose, onto your mouth. And then you're breathing that in. There really needs to be a crash course on mask etiquette. I really, really think so. Once you, you know, again, I've said this before, people should put the mask on in their home before they leave their home. And that way, when you are leaving your home, you already have the mask on. And I said this way back when, and I'm going to say it now. There should have been money spent on a PR campaign to put booklets through the homes of every person in this country and beyond, quite frankly, but every person in the United States through their mailbox that outlines these basic things. But of course, people at the time back in March and in February had, you know, they were saying, some people were saying, don't wear a mask. Some people were skeptical about that, who were in positions of influence, who who were medical people who were saying that initially. Then there were people saying, don't wear N95s. Then there were people saying, well, yes, wear a mask, but it's really not going to help you. It's going to help others. But turns out it helps everybody, including the mask wearer. And I get it. You know, these things evolve over time and there's new information. But, you know, I was wearing a scarf over my face since March. And then then when masks became available, because don't forget, there was a huge shortage. You couldn't find masks anywhere in March and in much for much of April, you know, and it wasn't until around May that you started to see masks in a lot of the grocery stores and other places in the U.S. And, you know, and I had a conversation about this offline with someone recently and I was saying, you know, why on earth aren't we doing this? We're the richest country on the planet. Why aren't we doing this? Why aren't we sending these leaflets? Why didn't we do that? Why didn't we, as a country, why didn't state governments, it's not just that ridiculous and toxic administration that's going to be out on its keister in 50 days that didn't do this, but what did the state governments do? What did the municipal governments do? In terms of what I'm about to say, why didn't they send leaflets through people's doors or booklets I know it costs money, I get it, but it's a small, small thing, you know? But it would have saved lives, it would have educated people. And why weren't there mask dispensers? If you go to Hong Kong, if you go to South Korea, if you go to Germany, if you go to Canada, I believe, as well, and you go to a lot of countries, you will see mask dispensers. You will see places in the subway systems in countries where there's a vending machine. You don't even have to pay for it. You just, you just, uh, I think you press a button and the mask comes out. There's no, there's no payment for it. It's free of charge. But we, but here in the U S we've got to buy masks Remember the whole thing with masks? There were so many masks that the WHO, World Health Organization, back in February and January had offered um, 
lots of masks to the US and the Trump administration said, no, we don't want that. Remember that? And then in February, they sent all this PPE to China, 18 tons of it, February 7th of 2020. There's a press release still online that you can see and read from Mike Pompeo of the State Department sending out the saying that they shipped out all these masks and PPE to China ventilators. And meanwhile, here in the US, people were dying and Donald Trump would not give the states like New York and others much needed ventilators. Instead, he was having states bid against each other. And then the his government was federal was bidding on a federal basis against the states for PPE. I mean, this was so disgusting. And to think that Joe Biden's not going to do anything about any of this repulses me to no end. But what repulses me far more is the lack of mask etiquette in this country. People who are walking the street and then they suddenly put on a mask because they see you coming from 50 feet or 50 yards away. That is not mask etiquette. That is really foolish, actually. And quite frankly, it is selfish and disrespectful. You are telling the world, a person that does this tells the world that they do not care about you or about themselves. And this is not an attack on liberty or freedom. It's about your responsibility as a human being. You know, this is not about being patriotic. And again, I I think Joe Biden makes a mistake. The president-elect makes a mistake. When he says, wear, wear a mask, it's your patriotic duty. Where, what, the, what the message should be, and I may have said this before here, is I certainly said it on Twitter, at the popcorn, R-E-E-L. But what, you, what the message should be is wear a mask, you can save lives. Wear a mask, it's to protect your children. Wear a mask, it's to protect yourself. Wear a mask, it's to protect people around you. Wear a mask. It's about being able to defeat this virus and reduce its spread. Those are the reasons why you wear a mask, not because it's patriotic. That message is not going to land with many people. Because the people who wave their flags, or at least some of them, particularly on the right wing, they're wearing, they're, they're hiding behind the flag that they're waving. And they don't even believe in the flag. They believe in their own selfishness and their desire to hate others and to be selfish and to not care about people. And they hide behind the flag with those feelings, quite frankly, in my view. So let's get it together here, America, please. As we begin this month and we get to the last 31 days, and this is the first of those 31 days, before we say goodbye to 2020. Can we please, please be better people in terms of our responsibility to each other? We will disagree. We will have our arguments and disagreements and different ways of seeing the world. And But can we... Do you think that we can do that? Can we together exercise a level sense of commitment to trying to defeat this virus? As 2020 winds down and a new year is dawning and coming upon us, can we at least commit to being better about mask wearing in 2021? And can we start doing that today? I mean, we don't have to wait until January 1st gets here. We really can do this right now. And we really must do this right now. I'm going to just read this to you before we go to break here. Hi, guys. I'm devastated that I won't be racing this weekend. Since we started the season in June, my team and I have been taking all the precautions we possibly can. 
and following the regulations everywhere we've been in order to save to stay safe. Unfortunately, even though I returned three negative results this past week, I woke up yesterday morning with mild symptoms and requested another test which came back positive. I have immediately gone into self-isolation for 10 days. I'm gutted not to be able to race this weekend, but my priority is to follow the protocols and advice to protect others. I'm really lucky that I feel okay with only mild symptoms and will do my best to stay fit and healthy. Please look after yourselves out there. You can never be too careful. These are worrying times for everyone and we need to make sure we are looking after ourselves and each other. Stay positive. That from seven-time world racing champion, Lewis Hamilton, who announced on Twitter at his web page or his Twitter page, at Lewis Hamilton, that he has tested positive for coronavirus. So no matter how careful you are, and I know people who have said that they're very careful and that they take precautions. And as you just heard from Lewis Hamilton, at least me reading out his tweet, it doesn't matter how careful you are. It really doesn't. Um, And I know that's a really rough thing to say. Um, but you really do have to exercise caution. Please stay away from people. Lewis Hamilton had no choice. He's going to be around people. He's a race driver. He has a whole crew and a whole team of him. When he races, they converge upon him to help him out of his vehicle, you know, to change the tires. He's in close proximity to people. It's very difficult. But really, this is so important. I cannot stress to you enough. Please, please wear gloves. That's what I do when I run in the mornings or run whenever I run is typically in the mornings. I wear gloves. I wear I put I have a mask with me um, to put on after I finish running. I typically will run when, of course, there's no one around. And, you know, I'm running this morning and, you know, some driver from a good 150 yards away thinks it's a great idea to speed. And I'm running across the street, across the street. And he's 150, it could be a she. I shouldn't presume the gender. But the driver is speeding up. And there's just no reason to do anything like that. And I made it across to the other side of the road. And A few seconds after I did, I hear a screech of the brakes from this same driver. This driver never saw me. And when I run, I'm running very in very in very visible clothing that you can see at night. So I I, I just people are really on edge. And there are people who are drunk who are driving. There are people who are speeding. There are people who are not paying attention. I've seen it so many times, I'm sure you have, where people are driving and they're not looking. They're looking at their phone or they're speeding through stop signs. They're running red lights. And, you know, people are absolutely on a mission to really do harm. And man, it's really problematic. So some people are just in a fog. Some people are, you know, you know people need help. And, people, and then there are people who should not ever be driving a vehicle. And if I wasn't a fast runner, I could have been hit. It's just that simple. We have to be careful. And you never can be too careful. I mean, and I was running at top speed across the road. And this car, this driver felt as if the mission was to try to hit me. I, I don't know. Because how do you slam on your brakes after I've already got to the other side of the road? How do you slam on your brakes? Either you didn't see me or you just, you're just you just not fit to be driving on the road. Why did you speed up? It's just 
ridiculous. And I see runners running at night or in the early morning hours wearing black clothing. And it just it just drives me crazy. You know, I saw it again early this morning. Woman, it was a woman. I could tell it was a woman, um, even though she was wearing all black. I mean, how would you run with the scenario that I just gave you, What which happened this morning, early in the morning? Why would you run wearing black clothing? Why would you run wearing black clothing? And you've got drivers on these streets who from 150 yards away, 200 yards away, are actually speeding up. Why? And, and, uh, and I'm wearing visible clothing. So why would you put yourself in jeopardy by wearing all black at night? Makes no sense to me. We all have to take care of ourselves. We all have to practice safe self-care and be better. We, we just have to. Um, we cannot afford to be reckless on any count. You know, I mean, look, Rita Ora, all of these people, whether it's Rita Ora or the person next door to you, um, whether they're rich or whether they're not, the rules apply to all of us. Whether it's the governor of California, Gavin Newsom, or whether it's anybody in that Trump White House. I mean, there's at least, I mean, you, don't you think there's at least 50 people in, in that White House who've been infected? It's got to be between 50 and 100. Those are the ones that we know of who have been infected in that White House, including Trump himself. So we've all got to be careful, no matter who we are. And let's, let's commit to doing that right now. Let's start today. It's a new month and we just have to be careful. We can skip a party for, for, you know, for another year. You know, we can skip an event where people, look, look, it's great. I want to be around people, of course. You know, social butterfly. I love that. But we can't do that now. I can't do that now. Right. So the next best thing is a phone call. The next best thing is Zoom. The next best thing is whatever choice you use in terms of communication with someone. But it is not being with them in person. And I don't care how many makeshift restaurants you put outdoors. That is not physical distancing. You know, that is just not. I get it. Restaurants have to make money somehow because you know, a lot of them are closing. A lot of them are closing. So I get it. But you're putting a lot of people's lives at risk. If you think that a plastic partition is going to do it for restaurants outdoors, when you've got people clustered together from different groups talking, obviously you're not going to wear a mask while you're eating or drinking. And if you think a partition is going to stop a virus and you've got Groups of four, table of three, table of two, next to each other in sections. If you think that's going to stop a virus, you have another think coming. Let's do this right and let's start to wear the mask. Let's do that today, please. Put on the mask in your house, please. And when you leave your house, leave with your mask on. And wear gloves too, by the way. And wash your hands and practice physical distancing. To whom this applies to, please. We can really reduce the spread of this virus if we do these simple things right now. Hey. Let's be careful. Let's be careful out there, folks. This is uh, some advice that we all should be heeding. That was a clip from Hill Street Blues. You remember that series. If you are of a certain age, Hill Street Blues um, was one of those TV series, I guess, in the late 1970s into the 80s. Um, that was... I. Guess a staple of your TV viewing, no doubt. I maybe, maybe not, but you have surely heard of Hill Street Blues, and um, 
I think it's still being rerun here in the United States. Um, one of my favorite shows was Hill Street Blues, and I love the music. I think that was the reason why I liked the show so much. <laughs> and also what you just heard. Let's be careful out there. And it is December 1st. It is World AIDS Day. Um, and this is a day that we um, remember um, that we are still far from the finish line when it comes to HIV AIDS and uh, finding a cure for it. Um, you know, people don't talk about HIV AIDS anymore, it seems, except for the people who really care about it. And I think that we have to continue to talk about um, HIV AIDS and also continue to do something about this and to spread awareness, to raise educational levels and to donate to the organizations who are actually really doing the work. Um, there's the One Foundation, um, I believe, that is doing work and has been doing work on um, fighting uh, against HIV AIDS and also Elton John's foundation. That's one that I donate to. I'm a big fan of Elton John. Um, but, you know, in some ways, I'm an even bigger fan of what he's done with the EJAF, the Elton John AIDS Foundation. It's been a, a really good um, cause. And if I could speak to Sir Elton, um, that's really the first thing I would actually talk to him about because I just think that that's one of the great landmark achievements in his lifetime is to, and he's still rocking and rolling strong. Um, the EGAF, is, is, I think, is his biggest accomplishment. Um, I mean, obviously his music and his, and his musicianship and everything else, but the EJAF is, is just, a, is for 30 years, I think now, has been fighting this fight. Um, so many millions of dollars and pounds and everything else have been raised. Um, and so that's the organization I'm actually going to do a link to. Um, and there are others, don't get me wrong, there are others. Maybe I'll, I'll add a, a link or two um, to the liner notes of this episode. But these these are causes that are very important. And these are causes that um, do mean a lot. They mean a whole heck of a lot. And so on this Giving Tuesday... Donate to a foundation that's fighting against HIV AIDS and trying to end that disease, that that um, that virus. I mean, it's it's deadly. Um, it's still killing lots of people all over the world. Black women, in particular, here in the United States, are uh, most at risk from HIV AIDS. They um, disproportionately get this this virus more than any other group. You know, and no one's talking about it anymore. Nobody, nobody's talking. I mean, again, apart from the people who really care about the issue. So on this Giving Tuesday, let's let's give. If you can afford to, please. Um, I already talked about um, um, several foundations, but if you can, if you can find, shake, shake some change out of somewhere. I mean, I know it's been very difficult for many people this year. But if you've got a dollar or two in your pocket, um, please, this is very important. You know, December 1st, I know, the final month of the year, a lot going on. We're in the middle of a, a pandemic, a holiday season. Um, people are, some people are very down at the moment, especially these next, next this next month or so, for some people is going to be very difficult, you know, not being able to see your loved ones in person. You know, people suffer from higher rates of depression um, during this particular time of year. Obviously, the holiday period is very difficult. And mental health. So these are really things that we've got to, you know, we've really got to open our eyes here um, and do what we can to get through this period of time. You know, we've still got 50 days of of this clown in the White House. Um, you know, there are people who are still starving still waiting on food bank lines all over the United States and other countries. There's a lot of different things that are very challenging going on. This is a very trying time, and it has been for a long time, but particularly 2020. So on this giving day, give of yourself what you can. Give of your heart. Give of your soul. 
give of your love to a cause that uplifts and helps people. Give of yourself in some way, shape or form. And believe me, you will feel better. You will feel better. Welcome back. So a few more things to observe on this Tuesday and just yesterday, actually. Let's start there. A couple of things. Both Arizona and Wisconsin certified their votes in the general election. So all of these so-called battleground states now have already, now all of them, officially certified their votes for Joe Biden. So now on December 14th, which is exactly 13 days from today, two Tuesdays from today, exactly, you will have in the, I guess it's the House, is it that? Is it the deadline for the elect? there's There's two deadlines. The December 14th one is the important one. This is when all of the states officially certify um, their results. And then early in January, I believe it's January 6th, um, before the joint session, there's a joint session. And what will happen is, is that the vote will be officially recorded um, by the electors. And I think the 14th is the date where actually January, December 14th is the a date where the electors officially um, cast their elective votes. So they have to cast what has been certified. That is the duty of the electors. Now, Everybody's going to be watching two Tuesdays from today to find out if that happens. And it will happen, by the way. That's spoiler alert. Um, It's going to happen. Uh, You know, Donald Trump has been laughed out of court more times than you've seen meals in the month of November. (laughs) Right? I mean, he's been laughed out of court so much. Pennsylvania, the Supreme Court there slammed the door in his face over the weekend. That barely got a passing mention. Um, All of these states have laughed him out. He's won just one case, and that was to have poll workers, uh, poll watchers move a little bit closer to observe the, the proceedings. I mean, that's just ridiculous. I played you last week several voters and poll watchers in Michigan during the testimony of the uh, uh, before the uh, state board of canvassers, uh, the board of state canvassers in Michigan, um, I invited one of them on, of course, who testified, um, uh, Laura Cronin, um, and uh, so many other people who said that they observed everything going well at these polling count places, except for the Republicans who were breaking the rules. So the jig is up, Donald. We know that you're done. You know that you're done. The Republicans know that you're done. So the least you can do is keep quiet, close your mouth, and go home. Because you're not going to fight this pandemic. You've not fought this pandemic. Your radiologist buddy, Scott Atlas, quit and should never have been there. You've got illegally appointed officials in the Department of Homeland Security. I mean, what kind of security risk is that? I mean, what is that for national security? You've got people in your party who are rebelling against you, like Brad Raffensperger, who voted for you and told you, no, we're not going to fix this election. And a governor of the same state, Georgia, because that's where Secretary of State Raffensperger is, is, is the Secretary of State for, you know, you got Brian Kemp who stole an election from Stacey, ha- Stacey Abrams two years ago. Even he's telling you, you know, this is the guy that said, oh, I didn't know that people who were asymptomatic can spread this virus. He said that. I mean, people forget that that was what Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, who stole an election from Stacey Abrams two years ago, actually said. Even Governor Kemp said, no, you know, it's not the job of the governor. I mean, someone in, in his press office said it. It's not the job of a governor to, 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 to interfere with the election. In other words, it's not the job of a governor to steal an election because he stole it once before and he doesn't want to do it again. 
You know, Jabron Kemp was the Secretary of State of Georgia. And he was running as governor of the state of Georgia. I mean, there couldn't possibly be any, any conflict of interest there. Could there now? (laughs) I mean, it's not funny. But as a result, he was forced to resign as Secretary of State, right? (laughs) While he was running for governor of Georgia. And hey, presto, yeah, you know, some hundred thousand plus people mostly black voters, were purged from the rolls in Georgia. Greg Pass can tell you all about that. He and the ACLU were able to compel the judge to order or compel uh, Brian Kemp to release this list of all these voters who were purged and put them back on the rolls. And that was successfully done. I believe that's exactly how it went down earlier this year. So the bottom line is now is that, you know, Donald Trump and Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani and by the way, Arizona's governor, Doug Ducey, who claimed he was so loyal to Trump. He actually, um, Rachel Maddow played this last night. He actually put his phone down when <laughs> he was signing the certification papers for Arizona, which certified for Joe Biden, as I said, um, won by 12,000 votes, 10,000 votes, whatever it was. And by the way, Katie Hobbs, the Arizona Secretary of State, a job well done. She's also been on this podcast um, and she spoke uh, about the strength of the elections in Arizona. And um, I'm really happy for her. She did an excellent job, as did all of these secretaries of state, in fighting back against this garbage from Trump. And even Doug Ducey, the Arizona governor, the Republican, he would not take the phone call from Donald Trump or Vice President Pence, whoever it was. And he put the phone down or silenced it or whatever he did. And then he put the phone down. And he just kept signing the certification papers. <laughs> it's just crap. But you know, I'm going to stop laughing right now because here's something that I want to get to. Scott Pelley of 60 Minutes interviewed Chris Krebs, who was fired, as you remember, last month for telling the truth about the elections being secure. And Scott Pelley's asking him all these, I think quite frankly, silly and insulting questions. Um, 60 Minutes has gone way down the tubes. With the exception of that great segment the other day about the last slave ship, which um, I pointed to, I think, on Twitter certainly, and I think here as well. Go watch that segment, um, the last slave ship on the 60 Minutes website. Really important stuff. But 60 Minutes, generally speaking, not the same as it was in the 70s or 80s, or even into the 90s, actually. But the point I'm making here is that while these elections were the most secure in the history of the country, Chris Krebs would know that. He would know that. He would absolutely know that. I asked this question on Twitter last night and at the Popcorn R-E-E-L. Does that mean that there was no voter suppression, though? I say no, it does not mean that because the elections were the most secure ever in the history of the USA, it does not mean that there was not voter suppression going on with Republicans. It doesn't mean that. You know, no, it's incredible that nobody has raised that question. I mean, there are people on social media who have talked about that, who are actually talking about it now happening in Georgia. Even more reason for those of you in Georgia to get out there and vote and tell your friends and family to vote right now. Vote early in Georgia, please. Do it by mail. On the 14th, you'll be able to do it in person as well. But please start now. Vote now. Vote early, please. Because there are reports of severe, serious voter uh, suppression by Republicans in Georgia right now. So who's really stealing an election? You know, voter suppression, I am sure there are many instances of it that happened during this 2020 presidential election. And you're not hearing about it in the media. You're not hearing about it, at least not in the corporate news media, you're not. And that's where you should be hearing about it because you can interview Chris Krebs, you can talk about Donald Trump refusing to to concede, all you wish. 
But if you're not talking about voter suppression, then you're really twisting in the wind here. And all of the things that Donald Trump did to suppress votes, he told voters to try to vote twice. He told voters not to bother with vote by mail. I mean, those are all forms of either election fraud or vote or or your or voter suppression. It's going to be rigged. I mean, all the things that he is claiming that Democrats did is exactly what he really did. And he did it right in front of your face. In the cold light of day. He's always been known for flaunting his criminality and his corrupt conduct right in your face. That is what his currency has always been. And there are those people who think, ooh, that's really good. You know, he can just do that. Ooh, wow, that's a turn on. There are actually people in the world who feel that way. Oh, he's such a bad boy. He's brazen. He's out there. And I love it. I love it. I love it. And there's a lot of men who who think that's cool. Or at least some men. Obviously, a majority of white men because they voted for him. And, you know, the, the 12% of black men who did. <laughs> Just like, what? They find it cool, man. He's an outlaw, man. He doesn't pay his taxes. He only pays 750 bucks. And that's cool, man. This guy was stealing an election right in front of you. He kept desecrating and still to this day holding these phony roadshow, clown show, Muppet hearings, him and Giuliani and all this garbage. And I'm going to be on a speakerphone and Jenna Ellis is going to hold the phone to the mic, to the mic in a, in a Ramada, Hotel Ramada. And, you know, it's just ridiculous. You don't have to be under oath at the Hotel Ramada. Come on. It's just, it's just absolutely comical. But it's so destructive. And this is what these people were doing. Why won't you overturn this election? Why won't you do it? And then, of course, the media just robotically reports it, doesn't analyze anything. You'll have some people who are pundits get into it and mention the, the C word, the coup word, coup. But, you know, apart from it, apart from those few people, yeah, you know, they just report it like it's an ordinary story. A day in the life. This is not the Beatles we're talking about. This is really an open, naked, blatant attempt, as I said last week, to overthrow this new government and to target black voters. Absolutely destroy their right to vote. Absolutely. That's exactly what it was. They violated the 15th Amendment. They, they, they really did. They violated the 15th Amendment. They violated the 14th Amendment of the Constitution, equal protection. They're targeting black voters. There's no articulable reason to target a black voter. There's none. They had no evidence. They had no supposition. They had no preposition. They had nothing. Nothing. They didn't have a blooming thing. And that's the story. That's the voter suppression. So even as Chris Krabs and the New York Times and everybody, and quite rightly so, says that there was no fraudulent or corrupt process in the election, that doesn't mean that there wasn't voter suppression. Miami-Dade in Florida. How did Trump get 70, nearly 74 million votes? Really? You don't think that there was some fraud going on with, with the Republicans? The elections process is the vote counting process, the tabulation process, the casting the votes. And I get it. You know, Krebs was on, on 60 Minutes the other day saying, well, there's no, there's no issue with the voter uh, machines flipping votes. But that does not mean that there was no voter suppression. And Scott Pelley 
who and look, it was an 18 minute, 15 minute segment, whatever, at least in that 15 minutes. And these folks talk for hours. OK, they have an interview. They could talk an hour, maybe an hour and a half. And then they cut together. The editor cuts together, you know, the best parts of it or the most pertinent parts they want for their story. And I don't know if Scott Pelley in the hour plus that he may have sat down with Chris Krebs ever asked him, was there any voter suppression or any evidence of it? But that is a question he should have asked him and that should have been aired if he did ask him. Because I want to say this once again. Just because you have an election that was the best run in history, and it was, it clearly was. The Russia effect did not materialize. I mean, it really didn't, you know. But does that mean that Republicans were not trying to suppress black and brown voters and youth voters? Come on now. Vote counting and vote tabulation versus voter suppression. These are very different things indeed. Just a few final observations. One, by the way, if you are a Georgia voter, as a reminder, you can request your absentee ballot. Make sure you go to ballotrequest.sos.ga.gov. That's ballot, B-A-L-L-O-T, request. Ballot request r e q u e s t dot s o s dot g a v dot uh let me try that again <laughs> ballot request dot s o s dot g a dot g o v b a l l o t r e q u e s t dot s o s dot g a dot g o v if you're a georgia voter please if you want to vote by mail you want to re request your absentee ballot to do so, then please go to that web address. I will present a link to the liner notes of this podcast so that you can do that. People are voting early right now by mail. And I suggest that in this pandemic, you do the same. Please, early voting will be critical uh, in these two Senate races. Both of the Republican Senate um, uh, holders at the moment have scandal around them with these selling of, of stocks and insider trading. Federal investigations were brought against them. Senate investigations were brought against them and then ultimately dropped. Uh, both of these individuals um, have been investigated for insider trading off of a pandemic. Both of them were briefed in January. And then after that briefing, they sold stock. That is not good. I mean, that's not good. And David Perdue lied about it. Lied. He's just a stone cold liar, as John Ossoff has talked about. Kelly, Leff Kelly Leffler is running ads about wanting to help black businesses. Oh, minority business. I hate that word, minority, because black people are not a minority on the planet. You know, we have to think globally, a global perspective I'm talking about. Oh, I want to help minority businesses. And oh, and I know how to cut checks. And I know what it's like to not have a meal. I mean, she's worth over $500 million. <laughs> Kelly left her. I mean, come on. She dines at all the best places. I mean, no, n nothing wrong with dining at all the best places. If you can find one of those places to dine in. I mean, Gavin Newsom did. But I've got nothing against that. I've dined at some fancy places. I'm sure that you have as well. But I'm sorry, cut, cutting ads with you saying that you understand what it's like. <laughs> and she's and her hus her husband is owns the stock exchange, owns, owns the company that owns the stock exchange. And he's a billionaire. <laughs> it's just come on, folks. So please, Georgia, do your thing. Um, you know, I can't wait to uh, 
Well, there'll be another wrinkle to all of this that I'm going to uh, proudly introduce <laughs> in the next uh, two days or so, I guess, uh, in the next day or two. So stay tuned. Um, there will be uh, <laughs> an announcement of this coming up on my Twitter page in the next 24 to 48 hours at the popcorn R-E-E-L. Um, so anyway, that, there's that coming up. But more importantly, much, much, much more importantly than that is Georgians, get out there and vote. Vote by mail now, please, please, please. Very important, very important. Très important, as uh, the French would say, or um, maybe as I try to be French, at least try to say it. And by the way, there's a lot going on in France right now too. My goodness, you know, the beating of that young brother uh, recently by these police caught on video. It's an absolute outrage. And uh, for French President Emmanuel Macron to express surprise and shock, I'm shocked. Uh, I, are you? Are you shocked? What are you shocked at? I mean, the police in France are some of the most thuggish people. They've become that. And have they ever been treating black people well in France, the police in particular? Have they ever done that in France? Really? I mean, can we go back to the Battle of Algiers? Uh, I mean, come on. 1958, 57, 58, 59. I mean, come on. It's just ludicrous. It really, go back to 1957 or 58 and you tell me about how the French treated black people, how they treated Algeria. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. But, but, you know, but Macron is shocked. He's shocked. Shocked, I tell you. He's absolutely uh, agog in horror as the police beat yet another black person. Because this brother didn't wear a mask. I mean, for all of my entreaties during this episode um, about the importance of mask wearing, really? The police are going to beat somebody to with an inch of his life? Really? This young brother was, was, yes, he should have put a mask on. And I don't know if that's true that he didn't have one on. But if he didn't, he should have put one on. But the reward for not putting one on should not be a beating by four or five cops in his own music studio. It's ridiculous. This guy is a music producer. Um, and it doesn't matter what his occup occupation is. Because I think people use that as like, oh, you know. Oh, he was a, you know, he was a... He was, he wore a bow tie. He wore a tux. That makes it much worse that the police beat him. Oh, he's a, he's a Rhodes Scholar. So, like, I mean, the police did not ask him if he were a Rhodes Scholar or if he were someone who tried to cure some disease or that he was a, a vaccinologist or whatever you call those individuals. Um, they, you know, they didn't. They just beat the living hell out of him. But uh, you know, Macron is shocked. Uh, I'm shocked. I'm so. Let me tell you about a system that has been doing this in France forever, um, and the the fascism in France now. Yeah, it, it's it's just it's all over the place, isn't it? You know, the, the French, by the way, they 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 turned tail and ran during World War Two, and Macron is shocked about the French beating up on people, on black folk. <laughs> I can't describe it. I, I honestly can't. Again, I'm lost for words. I, I truly am. <laughs> oh, dearie me. Anywho, there are two other things before I say goodbye on this Tuesday to you, dear listener. One of them is that the House of Commons, by the time you listen to this, they will have voted um, to either support Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister of the UK, in his Tier 1, Tier 2, Tier 3 um, measures, or they will not have voted for that. 
which would be a big defeat for Boris Johnson. Wouldn't be the first one he suffered as prime minister, that's for sure. Go back over the last year or so. Um, but the problem here is that Boris Johnson boxed himself into this position. Boris Johnson should have done a six-week lockdown in April of this year, 2020. And had he done that, had he done a strong national lockdown for six weeks or so, the way Italy did, and I know rates are going back up in Italy, but had they done that in the UK under Boris Johnson this year and done that through the end of the bank holiday at the end of May, because there's two bank holidays in May in the UK, I believe one at the beginning of the month and one at the end. And I think that had Boris Johnson in April done a six or so week curfew, I mean, lockdown, a strong one, it would be tough, but it would be necessary. And if he had done that, and I'm not talking the lockdown that he did do, because that was too confusing. It wasn't clear to anybody. It was very ambiguous. But if he had done a strong right, six weeks, um, we'll have food delivered to you. Um you can exercise for one hour max. Um, if there's medical emergencies, fine. But other than that, you've got to be indoors. And he never quite did that. He didn't do that. Um, you know, we will have food, to, you know, whatever it is. They could have spent the money to do that. But of course, it would have had to have gone um, through, through Parliament and it would have to be voted on. Um, but if that had been done, a strong national lockdown in the UK from, say, early April through the end of May, we wouldn't have the situation right now in the UK. We wouldn't have to have had a tier system. And if there were a soft lockdown imposed at the beginning of October, now Keir Starmer, Sir Keir Starmer, the Labour leader, said that that should happen. And, you know, Boris Johnson laughed him out of the House of Commons. And then just, you know, three weeks after that, oh, we're going to go to a national lockdown for a month, which ends tonight. That lockdown in the UK ends tonight. And it wasn't even a hard lockdown. You have to do something to curb this virus. In Italy, that initial lockdown, while it caused some kerfuffle amongst some, worked. People were absolutely sacrificing. And people in the UK are too, right now. And some are not. And the media are going to focus on those few people who aren't, right? That's what they're going to do. But the vast majority of people in the UK, my native country, are absolutely abiding by all these lockdown rules. But the problem is, is that Boris Johnson locked himself in on this lockdown. He should have been decisive from the start. And the fact that he isn't and wasn't is something that he is now paying the price for. And so are people in the UK. Businesses are being lost at a record rate. You've got something on the order of 58,000 people who have died in the United Kingdom. I mean, that's about 1% of the population. Just under 1% of the population. Roughly. It's about 62 million people in the UK or thereabouts. It's just under 1% of the population. How many lives could have been saved in the UK had Boris Johnson done his job from the start and not gone to COBRA meetings? COBRA meetings, this is the national security thing, COBRA. And he didn't go to a load of the meetings in March and April. The Sunday Times had a big story or the Sunday Telegraph, whichever one, they had a big story on this. He was absent from these meetings. And he caught the virus himself in April. It was on death's door. And it's just been a mess. It's been an absolute mess. And then he had to go quarantine for two weeks recently because he was not physically distancing and he wasn't wearing a mask. And someone next to him got coronavirus. This is the thing. When you've got people who are in power modeling bad behavior, and Boris Johnson now, if he loses this vote now, again, um, by the time you listen to this, the vote will have gone through and we'll find out one way or another. But with Labour MPs abstaining, 
and with at least 70 conservative MPs telling Boris Johnson he can go and shove it, essentially, how is this thing going to pass? And I'm actually in favor of the tier system, but I'm only in favor of it because this is where we are. How else are you going to do this? Stop this virus. I think there are some unfair things about it because why are some towns in the same tier three area marked as tier two? That's not fair. But there's nothing fair about any of this. But the point I'm making is that Boris Johnson put himself in this position to begin with. And I would vote for the tier system. But the problem is it shouldn't have had to come down to this in the first place. If Boris Johnson had done this in April or in March and imposed a six-week lockdown, a strong lockdown, it would be very difficult, but a really severe one, the way Italy did, I think you would have seen far, far fewer people lose their lives from this virus. They would have, they would have been less people, drastically less. And one is too many. One is one too many. And 58,000 is 58,000 people dead. Too many. Lastly, Joe Biden will be rolling out or did roll out his economic team today. Um, All of them, the majority of them female um, and at least three people of color. It's very good to see that the diversity and inclusion are there. Now the question is, what kind of policies and philosophies do they hold? Um, we will see. And in Boris uh, Johnson's case, we'll see about him and whether or not he gets through with this tear thing. This is going to be a nightmare. If this thing doesn't pass, by the way, let me just go back to that. It's going to be a nightmare. How are they going to do this in the UK? I got family, relatives, I got friends there. I mean, or anybody. It doesn't have to be about me or my friends or family. How is is that going to work? I leave you with that thought, actually. I leave you with that thought. How is it going to work? How can we make it work? Thank you very much for listening to this edition of the politocrat. I'm Omar Moore. The government has won a vote on the new system of coronavirus tears for England, despite 55 Conservative MPs rebelling against their own Prime Minister. The system was approved by 291 votes to 78, a majority of 213. Now that MPs have approved the tiered system, the restrictions will come into effect when England's second lockdown ends at midnight tonight.